This is the Visual Developers Podcast with your hosts, Matt Varghese and Ben Parker. From maker interviews to tutorials and more, we're here to talk about all things no code. Hi, everybody. Ben here with Visual Dev FM. Welcome back for another episode. And um, I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Lacey. Hello. And Matt. Hola. And uh, we're excited about this month. Uh, this marks the beginning of our Include Her series, which is uh, Women in Tech, and with a focus on women in tech. And so in this episode, Lacey interviews uh, a, a group of women in tech that work at Parabola. And it is such a great interview. I cannot wait for you to listen to it. Uh, but before we get there, as always, we're going to walk through our no code roundup. So it feels it's been a hot minute since we've all t- like been together and talked. So we're just going to walk through this the best we can. Uh, lots of no, no code news. So uh, first thing up, uh, Coda news. Since we last released an episode, in fact, I always talk about this. We release it and then it's like f- 15 minutes later, there's a tweet that uh, is news. I'm like, ah, I wish we could have included it. But this is one of them. Coda now has public profiles. So if you build Coda Docs, you can have a public profile and you can publish your documents and make them clonable so other people can copy your Coda Docs and use them, which is really amazing. Um, and then Reed Hoffman, who is co-founder of LinkedIn, if I'm correct, you two can correct me if I'm wrong. He has an article or a, a, a Coda Doc that's up and publicly available. Um, but you can, one of the really cool things about it is like you can use this with like a domain, um, which is perfect. So it's kind of like how people use Notion for websites. Now you can use Coda for websites. And they actually built in some tools to make this more SEO friendly, which is awesome. Um, there are so many documents they have as an example. Um, you know, a workout calendar, career development docs, interview practice, um, priority guides, playlist organizer. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It is so, so good. Seeing this as a website, like like you said, um, being able to put this on a domain, that's really interesting to me. That's literally the first thing I asked you when you sent this to us in our, our group chat. It's like, can I put this on a domain? Um, I'm really interested. Did you do any testing on the SEO front? Because I know that was a big problem with the Notion website. It's really easy to get going. And it, I, I like how it looks. It's pretty, you know minimalist but the big problem is that notion on a page speed you know type reference it's very bad and so it hurts your seo have you played around with this at all like page speed wise or seo wise so i did a little bit of testing um page speed uh, just depending on what you have on the page right so uh but page speed wasn't incredible but the one thing that they do make that's really awesome, I think it's your first paragraph becomes your SEO um, for the for the page. Oh, like the, the meta description? Yeah, so you can oh, write a good summary for that first paragraph, and it's like, boom. So, that's, so that seemed to work really, really well, and I think that's really awesome. So they do have a leg up there. I like how the page sections on the side now become tabs across the top. So it's like a tabbed menu across the top of the page, and they have the cover images, which is – very Notion-like, um, but it's super, super cool, and I can't wait to use this. In fact, I made my first clonable document. I'll share it uh, in the show notes here, but essentially, it's something that uh, we use 
internally at Webflow. Um, essentially, it is a doc that has this structure to it um, where it lists maybe what your problem is that you're trying to solve and your motivation for solving it. And, um, you know, what are the pros and what are the cons and what's the strategy? But at the very bottom, it uses one of Coda's voting, doc, voting tables. So everybody who logs into the document, it shows their Google profile and they can vote up or down. So there's a place there to say, I'm for this, let's, let's do this, or I'm against this, let's not do it, or let's table it and talk about it in a meeting. And then uh, it's got a place below for everybody to add in their notes, which is really fun. It's a great way to make asynchronous decisions without everybody being in a meeting or having to have this huge Slack conversation. So anyway, really cool. Shout out to the Coda team for not only releasing this really cool feature, but having all of these really awesome examples ready at launch. It was just I was unbelievable reading through it all, and I really thought it was such a cool uh, launch, and I'm so excited for their team. Um, moving on in Bravo Studio news, uh, Bravo Studio has a new tutorial for an RSVP app. So it, it uses Typeform, Zapier, Airtable, Figma Design, um, and uh, they've got a link there where you can watch it on YouTube. I think it was made by a community member. Really, it looked really interesting. I watched just a little bit of it. I actually can't wait to dive in and watch more, um, follow along. But if you were looking for an awesome way to work with Bravo Studio, this is a good good thing to look at right here, a good way to learn. So definitely check that out. Um, and also, Bravo will be a part of Office. So um, this is like an art digital media conference in Europe. Really, really, really cool. Um, so it looks like there's going to be a series of workshops around Bravo there. So shout out to the team. If you're going um, and you get to be a part of that, let us know because it looks super amazing. I, I found this, Glide tweeted about it, SheetsCon, which is a, it's a free online conference about spreadsheets. I know it sounds, when you pitch like that, it's probably the worst pitch ever, but uh, it looks really amazing. And if if you're built in no code at all, you would know that the heart of your projects typically live in some sort of spreadsheet tool, whether that's Google Sheets or Airtable or maybe Coda. Um, you might have these different tools that you're using that kind of uh, serve up all of your data. And so a conference online that's free, that's all about spreadsheets, I think is something that would be very cool. Um, so definitely check it out. It's on March 11th and 12th, 10 plus speakers, all free and online. Sheetscon.com, as always, links in the show notes. Check it out. Voice flow, which is something we haven't talked about a lot here, but voice flow is kind of like uh, it's a no code build voice apps, um, which is which is great, right? Uh, you know, think Siri or not Siri, but think Alexa apps and those those sorts of things. Really, really cool. Their community hit six thousand plus strong uh, recently, which is awesome. So props to their team. Really, really awesome. And then this one blew me away. So Chris Bags, he tweeted, who's ready for things to get real crazy? Which is, I, my mind was blown. It is a picture of the Webflow designer, but one of the tabs has the JetBoost logo instead of Webflow logo. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I really want to know what the, what's happening here. 
I saw this and immediately was like giddy. But then I was like, is this a mock-up? Is this like in Chris's dream world or is this a reality? Ben, you probably know, but won't tell us. So I am just so interested because if, if this is a real thing and we're really pulling this into Webflow, not going back and forth uh, between the JetBoost site, which is he just redid his walkthrough and getting set up and all that. It's really great. But what what is this? I am so curious. I need. I really need to know more. It looks if this is like this looks so realistic that someone messaged me today and was like, "Is Webflow rolling out a new feature that they're not talking about?" And I was just like, I. Honestly, like, I don't know what is going on in this, in this picture, but it looks insane. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure if this is like a, a Webflow um, Jetboost collaboration, like every, the groups are working together, or whether like he's just literally inserting like a node into the DOM with like Jetboost, which is like almost even cooler. It's like, yo, you figured out a way to make that work. It's just like, teach me your ways. But uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how this turns out. So from what I understand... Uh, he actually, so he posted this and then he replied to some tweets. So link to all of this in the show notes. He said, just messing around with hacking JetBoost directly into the Webflow designer. And then Tom Beckers, who we know and love, uh, asked, is this real? And he said, early experimentation. So um, I think he's playing around with how he can make this easier um, to, to work with Webflow and the designer, but looks really cool. Do you think this could be, I mean, I don't know if Webflow would entertain the idea of like plugins or third parties that you can directly integrate. I wonder if this is something to that effect. I don't know. It's interesting for sure. I I will say that everything that he posts recently, like he keeps showing off all these tools and things that are built with JetBoost and it blows my mind. Like, the filters, the live filters, the live searches, unbelievable. But I'm super excited about it. And I think everything he does is straight fire. So I'm super excited about, I was super excited about this. Um, no Code Founders has, be, has begun holding AMAs. And if you're not a part of the No Code Founders Slack, No Code Founders website, link in the show notes, you need to go check it out. But one of their AMAs was with Bubble CEO, Emmanuel. And it was so good. If you didn't get to be a part of it, there's a link to uh, No Code Founders website where they kind of did a roundup of the questions and the answers. Super cool. I feel like I've been part of No Code Founders for a while, but I literally just introduced myself last week because I just started using that Slack more. And I love it. I think that is a a great group of people. And I actually read up on some of Emmanuel's um, questions and answers. And it was cool. You know, he was pretty pretty open and honest about his feedback and uh, or about the questions that were asked. So um, props to him. And if you're not a member of no code founders, go join it. Um, We'll see if we can get a link to, to sign up for the Slack. Awesome. Um, So Joe from new code did a two plus hour demo with, and I'm going to mess up Mark's name. So I always want to say Mark Manganson, but it's actually Mark Magnuson. Did I get that right? On Builder. And Builder, uh, it's at Builder HQ on Twitter. That's an app I haven't really got to play with, but it's on my list of things to check out. So I'm really excited to watch this video um, of them building with, with, uh, with Builders. I should have chose a different word, building with, creating with Builder, because um, it looks, uh, looks like a super cool 
uh, a really cool video and I can't wait. I just, like I said, I just cracked it open and bookmarked it because I want to, I want to take a good deep dive and run at that, but really cool. Go check it out. Um, saw, uh, of course, working at Webflow just got posted internally, but also saw tweets, Webflow on NASDAQ. What? Uh, so Ashley, who is the VP of product, uh, posted congrats to Webflow for being recognized as one of the 2020 enterprise top tech winners. Um, and some love on the NASDAQ tower feels pretty good too, which is really awesome uh, to see. And uh, Vlad also tweeted about this. Um, and for people who don't know Vlad's story, um, it's really incredible. But you know, he, he tweeted, I grew up dirt poor in the USSR. My family benefited from welfare when we arrived here as refugees. We cleaned offices at night for years to make ends meet. And now people see the company I helped start in Times Square. That's feeling overwhelmingly grateful and, and undeservedly lucky. And um, that tweet hit me right in the feels. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Flat. I mean, I feel like we talk about him all the time, both in our offline conversations and our online conversations. But man, like if there's someone that, Ben, like you and I have talked about this, like in, in the type of company I want to build, like I want to mimic Vlad's behavior as a CEO and just like his gratitude and his like humbleness and like all of that is just something like I think everyone can learn from. And he's just like a, a big supporter of, you know, minority groups and like pushing them forward. And like, this is the person you want to win. Like this is the person you want to see at in uh, Times Square. And so uh, props to him and I'm really proud. Yeah, he's, uh, he's awesome. Uh, and so, we're 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 trying to i can i say this we're trying to get him scheduled for the podcast with something to look forward to um if you're a listener looking forward to that um but really cool i hope you check out those tweets links in the show description uh ben tossel from MakerPad making waves with a tweet this uh i feel like he tweeted this and it kind of most of the time the no code community is really like supportive but there was some dissent here um he 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 tweeted there's one dominant co- no-code stack. It is Webflow, Zapier, Airtable, and Member Stack. You can do almost anything with it. Uh, there isn't anything more powerful right now. Um, that's that's uh, you know, that's pretty bold statement. I know there's some people who are Bubble fans who really really uh, were like, hey, well, what a, what about Bubble? Um, and then this is KP. He tweeted, here's the no-code pyramid if you're a beginner. Tier 1, card, air table, table to site, sheet to site. Tier 2, Webflow is Tier 2. I don't know if I agree with that. But Webflow, Integromat, Zapier, Parabola, member stack. Tier 3, bubble, builder from the demo he saw. Pick the tool that fits your skills. Uh, and then follow-up to all of this, Vlad, go back to a Vlad tweet. Vlad tweeted, um, I just heard someone refer to the AWZ stack for no code. A, Airtable for data. W, Webflow for UI. And Z, Zapier for logic. Love it. So lots of opinions on what your no code stacks are. I'd just like to take a second here. Both, I, we the system we have where we record this is so funny. We can kind of see when somebody wants to say something. And I know both Matt and Lacey are, are itching to jump into this conversation. I was going to ask, what are your no code stacks? What do you think about these? But I, okay, so, you know, Ben's tweets, fine. Yeah, we all love all those things. 
you know, no, no qualms there. Bringing in bubble about as an all-in-one, that's another day, another, like we can, we could devote an entire episode to that. I feel like the one that got me that it's just with this no code pyramid thing is the tiers that he listed. These tools are not interchangeable. These are not like something that you could do one without the other. And I just, I felt like it was pretty confusing and kind of unnecessary from the aspect of, you know, we, you should select tools that fit the purpose of your build. And these, to me, it's like, you can use card, but if you use Airtable, you're not going to have a website. So I I don't see the kind of comparison. Maybe it was ease of use, um, which I'm kind of thinking perhaps more now that I look at it, it was, but I just, I also think like these are complements of each other, not necessarily something that we should like pit against each other and say, you know, this is, you know, tearing it out in, in such a way. And also member stack should easily be tier one if we're going with, you know, how difficult something it is to use because member stack is about as straightforward. You set it up in three steps. So that's my my take on it. I don't think the tier system is meant to be an easy to hard. I think KP was saying like, hey, if you're a beginner, you use tier one. And then if you're intermediate, you use tier two. And then if you're advanced, you use tier three, which I don't know if I agree with KP's grouping because I think he put Glide in tier one, but I think Glide is pretty powerful and a lot of people don't realize it. I think Webflow is very, very powerful and should be in tier three. It might not have the you know, the backend logic right out of the box, but I almost prefer it to using other tools right now just because, and it's personal preference is what I know. Um, I I get what both of these people are saying though. And I kind of feel like this is maybe meant more towards beginners, people that are like, there's so many tools out there. We talk about this all the time. There's a ton and there's new tools coming every day. It's like, how do I know what to choose? Like, what is the the best stack? So I respect both of them for sharing their opinion here. Um, I don't know whether I agree Zapier should be in this this um, the stack. I don't know. I'm leaning more towards Integramat these days. Um, and honestly, I think Ben is too. Ben, let's uh, let's put your Zapier thoughts out on the air. Yeah, that's a that's a good thought. Uh, let's talk about my no code stack. So right now, I like to use. Um, I really like to use Webflow. Obviously, I work there. Um, uh, some might think I'm biased, but I just love the tool. I don't think there's anything, if we're talking about building the front end of, of a tool, I just don't think there's anything better, period. Um, it's just so good. You know, I I like, I used to I used to lose, use Zapier a lot. I use almost Zap. I use Zapier almost never now. Um, it has slowly. For, for, for reference, Ben is the person that I think of or used to think of whenever someone was like, I need help with this Zapier thing. It was like, Ben knows it. He uses that thing religiously. I still know Zapier really well. It's just hard. The, the things that Zapier misses, like, so Integromat, the reasons I love Integromat, um, I, I think they just have like, they have a few more little options on triggers and actions, which is really great. Um, but then they also they allow you to break things out and to create arrays out of them, which is really wonderful. And so you can break out these items and then you can loop through items with Zapier. Like let's say you had an e-commerce store and for each order, you wanted to make an API call to a a system that, you know, that's going to fulfill these orders. And so you don't, it's passive income. You're not doing anything. 
you know, you can't do that with Zapier. Uh, you know, you'd have to write JavaScript. And even then you can't loop through every one of those items. It's just limiting. So with more advanced builds, you go to Integromat. And then once you use Integromat for most of your advanced builds, you're like, well, now why would I put my simple ones in Zapier and have them in two different places? Like, I'm just going to put them in Integromat. And I, I be, I'll be honest, my, my stack is Webflow, Integromat, Parabola, which I really, really, really love. Um, Airtable and Google Sheets, those are kind of my mainstays and go-tos. Um, you know, outside of that, um, you know, and I want to be in on Bubble, and I've, uh, I don't want to knock Bubble or, or, or what have you. My problem with Bubble is on the front end, you know, I'm so used to, I guess, so my background is, is writing code, HTML, CSS, and then, you know, I use Webflow a lot now, and that's just an abstraction of that. But then when I pick up Bubble, it feels really different just because, like, there are no divs. It's like put in a shape and put, you know. And so I have a really hard time connecting in that in that app. But I see people build crazy powerful things with it. Like, you see, you know, new code built in it. And, and you see zero code stuff. And it's all really, really good. So, um, I don't know. I think you're right. I think it comes down to preference. But my preference, the more and more time goes on, my preference isn't Zapier. Um, I, I also, to say. I, I, uh, I think Integramat, one of the pieces I like about it um, is the fact that features aren't, I don't think features are like gated. So like if I want to split things off, like Zapier has passed. I, I know this is a like grievance of yours that we talked about a while back with when you were building the no codes. Can you explain the story of like you've gone through this flow and like being disappointed at the end? Yeah. So, you know, Zapier, they, like if you want to use paths, which it's basically you can set it up and you say, if this happens, do this. If that happens, do, you know, do this other thing. If this, then that essentially. Right. Um, and you can split that off and they kind of changed their interface. And there was, I, I guess, an error that popped up and I did not see it because it was not in my mind. If I'm, if I can't have a feature block me from using it, like I don't, but it allowed me to keep building. So I finished this thing and then, <laughs> Uh, it was like, yeah, you can't do that because you don't have this plan. And then when I looked at the plan, like, I was hit immediately with with sticker shock. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to pay that much a month? So I'm looking really quickly to see what, what it was. I want to say I've, you have to be on the professional tier, so it's 50 bucks a month. to, And I'm it's one zap. Um, and so I was like, no. So I literally started over and went to Integromat and did that. Um, and I was so, I was a little bit upset because it was a pretty complex piece and I had built it all in Zapier. And, you know, if I'm not paying for that, like, it's cool to show an error. I wish it was bigger. And I also wish that you just kept me from like, don't let me put it on this. Like, if I don't pay for it, don't like gray it out, make it not selectable. Don't let me use it. Keep, keep me from it because it made me angrier <laughs> or more upset, you know, not having that, that access. I don't know. I, I'm still a big Zapier fan. I love the Zapier team. I think the people at Zapier are wonderful. Um, it's just, I don't know. The more time goes on, the harder it is for me to use the tool. It really is. Um, so anyway, no code stacks. They're all different for everybody. And here's what I would say. I used to say this about, I think we've talked about this before. If it gets you to where you want to go, who cares what you use? Oh, 100%. Right? It does not matter. Use what you like. Uh, build build what you want and that that's that's the whole point like that's the whole point of the no code movement 
Um, and we all have different preferences, but it doesn't matter, right? You use what you love. So uh, Andrew Wilkinson tweeted this week. Um, it's kind of a follow-up. We had Max on from 8020. And if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that interview because it was so good. But he tweeted, update on 80, we are 8020, which is at we are 8020 on Twitter. Um, our, they're a no-code agency at Tiny Capital. They've already done over 100K worth of work. They've even had huge governments uh, reach out and learn about no-code um, corporations. So now an official partner of Coda, Bubble, and Webflow. So there you go. You can see their stack, very similar to what we all mentioned here and what other people are mentioning, right? Same tools. So um, pretty cool, but um, that's so awesome. Congrats to Max, Andrew, everybody over there. Super cool. Um, so discovered this past week on Product Hunt and other places um, a couple of tools. I feel like every time I turn around, there's another automation tool. Uh, one of them is Use Paragon. Um, and link in the show description, but it's useparagon.com, and it's automate your API development. Seems like a pretty pretty awesome tool. I think it's meant for a more technical user. Um, I really wanted to try it out, but it's it's in beta. You have to pay for beta access, which I feel like is a bold move in this space because there's so many of these tools. For sure. Um, you want me to pay sight unseen for this when I could just go use Integramat or, or what have you or another tool. Do you API. know what it costs? I think it was 30 bucks a month to get into the beta. So Wow. Wow, that now, is a bold move because you can get a lot of operations on Integramat with that. Yeah, and, and I so to a certain extent I get it because if you open up beta, you're like all these people on a free free plan just sure. giving you noise, right? Like right, right. it's just noise, right? So I'm gonna get it from the people who are serious about using my tool. I understand that completely. I just feel like in this space with the way it's growing so quickly and with the amount of tools that are out there right now. It's a really hard, it's a really hard sell, um, you know, kind of side unseen because there's not a lot out there that you've seen built with it. There's not a lot of content on it. Um, and so, but it is worth checking out. If that's something you're interested in, definitely go take a look because, you know, if you're building something that's a little more serious, like it reminds me a lot of busy work that we mentioned in the last episode. Um, so something similar there. Check do, you, it out. do you know if it's... Um Thirty a month plus like operations, or like, do you know how how that works? Like, if I run a bunch of calls. In fairness, I do not know all the details. Okay, so definitely worth checking out. I might sign yeah. up for that. The uh, the early access just to see pricing because that'd be interesting. Yeah, and so um, and, and there's another tool called Internal Internal.io, um, and it's like essentially like a CRUD app. Uh, so you know. Um, this table internal database that you can use um, with, I think it's meant to be meant to work with other tools. I'm I'm not sure. I just kind of saw this on the fly and included it and want to check it out more. But if there's uh, if you've been looking for kind of a database tool to work with uh, your no code pieces, this looks like a really cool app to check out internal.io link in the show description. Um, I also had a conversation this week with the fine folks at join huddle. So join huddle.io and they're working on a product uh, that's really, really cool. Um, and essentially, it's just kind of a way, it's kind of think of it like GitHub and issue tracking and logging and, and user stories, but for no-code projects. And so if you're interested in, in hear, hearing about this tool and if you're trying to launch some things and you need a way to really, you know, uh, release to the public what you're working on, what you've been changing, what you've been adding, um, a, a place to get feedback and receive it and a place to kind of track all those issues. This is something cool. You really need to check out, make sure you reach out to their team because they are 
wonderful people and really enjoyed that conversation. So thanks, Mark, for reaching out. It was really, really great. Um, Member Stack, one of our favorite tools. I think we all mentioned that as far as like things we love. Member Stack is hiring. So they're hiring front-end developers, back-end developers, customer success managers, website builder experts for WordPress, Squarespace, Vue, React, et cetera, which is Ooh, hello. Pretty cool. I like that. A lot of cool things coming. So definitely check that out. If you're looking for, uh, we talked about this in an episode two, you're looking for a career in no code. You want to work for a no code company. I think this would be an awesome one to check out. So definitely go take a look at that links in the show description. Airtable, new Airtable stuff. Airtable now has scripting. That's right. You can use JavaScript in an Airtable, which is really, really really cool. Um, lots of powerful things that opens up there. They, they did have a blog post that kind of shows some of the power of this. Definitely go check it out because it allows you to, you know, I think one of the things I've always knocked Airtable on is not having maybe some of that same power that maybe Google sheets has with some of the app script that's available there or what have you, but this really takes it to that next level, which is super awesome. Uh, so Airtable scripting, go check it out. Um, no code rumble. Um, no code rumble by uh, Sarkis is, is is the one who started this. This is really cool. It's um, eight eight makers from around the world trying to create eight products in four weeks, and so they're all going to be streaming it, um, which is really cool. And Codeless VC, which Michael Gill, if you don't follow him on Twitter uh, at Gill underscore Works. Um, he, he announced that he's created this no-code uh, VC. Um, and as his first move, he's awarding $8,000 cash to the winner of the no-code rumble. So if you're, not, like if you're not paying attention to this, you are missing out. At no-code rumble on Twitter. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's, I forget the website, it's rumble.pro, I think. Um, definitely go, yeah, rumble.pro, definitely go check it out. This is super cool. So I want to say props to Sarkis for putting this together and definitely take some time to check it out. Uh, and then props to, to, to Michael for his support of this and for trying to fund somebody and, and some people, some awesome makers who are building awesome things. I think this is going to be really cool for the no code community. Also, I mean, while we're on the subject, um, Max, and I'm going to say your last name wrong, so you're going to have to forgive me, Haining. That's my, that's, my, that's my shot at it. Matt and Lacey, feel free to correct me. Um, that's my shot. Today, he tweeted, today I'm excited to launch the 100 Days of No-Code Challenge. Lots of no-code challenges out there. Um, we're just challenging uh, anybody in no-code to just build 30 minutes a day, tweet about it using the hashtag. Um, I, think it's, I think it's hashtag 100 Days of No-Code. And so if you're into building something or if you're like me and you just build things when you're bored and you're like, okay, and then you just don't share with anybody because you, they really had no purpose. This is great. It's a great way to flex your uh, muscles, learn some skills and, and, and meet new people. So definitely check that out. And also while we're on the subjects of no code venture capital funds, Ben Tossel made an announcement on Twitter uh, of MakerPad that he's launching nocode.vc, which is really awesome. It's, uh, and I don't know who came first. His tweet says the first no-code focused fund where we'll be investing in companies who are building around the, uh, the no-code ecosystem. Uh, very much linked to the work they're doing at MakerPad. I'm assuming this is going to tie into their, their uh, MakerPad schools or uh, boot camps. Um, and Connor 
uh, of Unicorn Factory fame is helping him run this, which is really cool. I love the effort to get capital in the hands of creators and makers, help them build their products and make them awesome. So definitely check that out. Um, it is nocode.vc and you can hit the link in our show description. Um, also, something new, Zapier's CEO, Wade Foster, is doing an AMA. Um, and so I know that I'm now talking about so like, hey, Zapier's doing A, B, and C after I just said I don't really use Zapier anymore. But it's still a great tool. I think it's a part of a lot of people's no-code stacks. Um, so definitely check this out, doing an AMA. I think it's going to be super interesting. Wade is seems like just a super great person, and uh, I think it's going to be awesome. Um, so in other no-code news, this is a longer roundup, roundup, so I hope you guys were all buckled in. In other no-code news, Elementor, um, which we don't really talk a lot about WordPress, but they received $15 million. So if you, if you haven't used it, it's a drag-and-drop builder for WordPress. If it's a plugin you use, you can drag-and-drop build websites. Um, it's pretty cool that they've, they've raised some capital, so congrats to their team. Um, and following up on that, Wix now sees themselves reaching 1 billion in revenue this year, which is unbelievable. Um, and they're part of their, their push is they're targeting pro builders. I think we talked about this editor X and some different things. They're targeting the kind of the, the pro website builder, which is interesting. I'm curious to see how all that um, pans out, but definitely something you want to keep an eye on. And then um, yeah, go ahead. really quickly, I is like Tel Aviv and like Israel, like the the place to start a, a company now because both Elementor and Wix are uh, over there. And so, is there something in the water over there that's making them real successful and entrepreneurial? Because I want to go over there now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's all I mean, there's a lot of hustle there. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's awesome though. I love seeing. Honestly, I love anytime I see a startup or a company that's not based in San Francisco. Like, I think, bro, for sure. I'm yeah, hundred like, percent. Oh. Uh, this is different. This is fun. I like it. So, um, so it's really cool. Congrats to those teams. I, I love to hear that. Um, always, I always say raising tide, you know, raises all ships. I love that saying. And so I think it's cool to see all these no code companies find success. And then finally, there was a story about grid AI. Do you guys remember grid AI websites? Anybody remember this? It was supposed to be this machine learning um, but essentially, you would give it your content, and it would create a website for you. Um, you didn't have to design anything. Um, you didn't have to do anything. You just essentially put in your content. It builds the site. That's it. Um, and they took – basically, they, they sold up front a bunch of lifetime memberships. So people paid once, and then they never had to pay again. And it turns out that's a surefire way to sink your company if people don't pay anymore after they've paid the first time. Um, and so uh, this story was really, really enlightening. So if you are uh, somebody who's an entrepreneur um, and you want to learn about growth and uh, what maybe what not to do, this is a great story to read, um, but thought it was super interesting. And then finally, leading into today's uh, episode, Vlad did tweet – uh, the no-code space is heating up, but the vast majority of the founders of these companies, um, Zapier, Webflow, Airtable, et cetera, are from well, well-represented identity groups. We need to do better by encouraging more women and or people of color to build new startups in this space. And this is a part of the thread. I would encourage you to go read it. Link in the show description. That leads right into what we're talking about today. Um, and this month, we decided to dedicate this entire month to women in tech. Um, and so in this episode... 
Lacey interviews some wonderful people from Parabola. Um, we've talked about Parabola on this episode, on this podcast before. We love it a lot. I think it's a really, really great tool. And this conversation I wasn't a part of, but I did. I have listened to it and it's so good. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, they, t- they cover so many topics and I learned a lot. Um, and it was, um, I don't know, I was super entertained and I will honestly give it a listen another one or two times because I enjoyed it so much. But um, if you're looking for uh, a great tool to build things in, look no further than Parabola. Matt and I actually build something fun in that. Maybe we can share it sometime soon, but we uh, built some really complicated, crazy workflows in Parabola. And it's just such a, um, you know, I was telling their team today after the interview that when we were building it, we were on a Zoom call and it was kind of like we would, we would like, realize something that we start kind of giggling like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Um, like kids in a candy shop and uh, just the things that Parabola can do never ceases to amaze me. So I honestly, like I've known of Parabola for a long time, but I've always like, what is my use case here? What is my use case? What can I use this for? Because it's not really like an event based tool, which was took me a while to like really understand. It's not like Zapier and Tegramat. Um, it's meant with, it's meant to deal with like mass data. Um, but after seeing Ben pull together this like workflow that we were working on, it was just insane. And it was many hours of calls and it was funny. We would hop off a call and then Ben would be like, I found a simpler way to do this in Parabola. And then we would hop off the call and he'd be like, I found another way to do this in Parabola. And it's, it's insane just to see what the tool can do. So I'm excited one for the tool, but also for this interview, because I haven't heard it yet, but Ben spoke very, very highly of it before, uh, before this interview as well. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So without further ado, uh, enjoy this interview and the rest of this episode, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you all so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I am so excited to be here. I am joined by some fantastic women and leaders at Parabola. So we have Jamie, who is an engineer, Ivy, who is a designer, Michelle is an engineering manager, and Sachi is the customer success. So we're going to just jump right in and go around and talk about how each of these women got um, a start into their specific field. So Jamie, if you'd like to go first. Sure. Um, I actually didn't study engineering in college, um, but at my first job, I kind of worked on the product side of things and wanted to do engineering. And then I ended up kind of taking some time off and I went down to Chile. I got a Fulbright scholarship and taught um, high school students how to code like very rudimentary video games and then at the same time took classes um, and studied built a portfolio and then came back and this is my first engineering job that's really awesome so what was your major in college I did operations and information management which Mm -hmm. it sounds really boring but (laughs) it's kind of like uh analytics and I also, I also studied um, marketing. That was all in the business school. Okay, awesome, awesome. What about you, Ivy? Um, so it, sort of similarly to Jamie, I took a sort of non-traditional path into tech. Um, I was an English major in college and my first job out of school was copywriting. 
Um, but I had always done a lot of sort of graphic design and illustration and like painting um, for fun and then also sort of freelancing. Um, and that was the part of my job that I always enjoyed the most. And so I eventually like quit my copywriting job and was looking for um, design jobs and specifically like design jobs in tech um, because I was in the Bay Area. Um, and so Parabola is like my first sort of like full-time um, design position that I've ever had. That's very cool. That's very cool. And it's a great, it seems like a great team to be a part of. Yeah. And the product is fantastic. It's been really exciting because I came in and there was a lot of like good design already in place, but I also have so much freedom. Very cool. Very cool. And then Michelle, you're an engineering manager, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is my first engineering manager job. I think like me going, getting into engineering goes like kind of way back. Like my dad has always been an engineer and an entrepreneur. And so I just kind of grew up in like an environment where having an idea and then building it was normal. Um, and kind of in college, I realized that's just what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into startups and like taking ideas and building them out. Um, so I kind of did a mixture of things from IC engineering to being a founder um, to also like working in product. And when I came to Parabola, I had the opportunity to be an IC engineer here and then move into management. And that was like a really awesome step for me. Yeah, definitely. That's very cool. Very cool. And what about you, Sachi? Yeah, I think similar to Jamie and Ivy, my path was not traditional. Um, I never thought I would be in tech. Uh, when I graduated, I studied political science in college. I graduated and did Teach for America, which is what brought me out to the Bay Area. So had it not been for Teach for America, I probably would have never moved out here and I probably would have never gotten into tech. But once I finished two years of teaching at a preschool, um, for Teach for America, I wanted to explore more opportunities for myself and for my career. I ended up joining an ed tech company in San Francisco, um, and that's how I like got into the world of tech. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Well, this month we are showcasing women in tech, the visual deficit. Dev FM podcast. Uh, we want to shed light on a very underrepresented group so that we can celebrate accomplishments and achieve, achievements as well as learn from them. Um, so my first question is for Michelle. So what would you say has helped you get to where you are as an engineering manager? And what advice would you have for others who want to set off in a similar direction? Yeah, I think for me to, to become a manager, a big thing that helped was um, just kind of filling gaps. Like, as things happened within Parabola where like somebody, we needed someone to do something and us being small, like not, we don't have like everyone having the title to do that thing. I just kind of like tried to wedge myself in there and take over pieces of work that um, were like aligned with what I wanted to do. Uh, so some of that was kind of product management type of things uh, where I didn't necessarily have a manager title. I was still like senior software engineer. Uh, but started managing some of the product life cycle. And I think then when it became a time where it could be more official, it was like a lot easier for me to step into that role. Um, that and also like making it clear with my manager, who is our CEO, because we're small, uh, that like that's kind of the direction I wanted to go, that I cared about um, more than just the IC work, but also learning how to motivate a team and, um, how to organize work and just build the product in general. 
Yeah, definitely. No, that makes total sense. So do you feel like you're able to have a large impact because your team is really small? Yeah, I think so. I think it would. I mean, it's part of the reason I like startups is that you kind of everything you do is really important. If you're not doing something important, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, So yeah, I think the opportunity probably arose more quickly because our team is small and being here early. Um, Yeah, I think the team size had a lot to do with it. Yeah, definitely. How big is y'all's team? Uh, Parabola as a whole, I think it's 13 right now. Um, 13, the engineering team's five right now, soon to be six. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Very cool. And Sachi, with your job, so customers being equipped with what they need to use Parabola is obviously like extremely important. So what challenges do you face when it comes to equipping customers? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, Parabola is really like a new kind of tool, new kind of product that's unlocking capabilities to people that weren't really previously available to them. And people are coming in, all our customers are coming in from all different backgrounds. Some people like already know how to code. Some people know a little SQL. Some people are expert spreadsheet users. And other people are coming in with like very little technical uh, familiarity. So to try to accommodate all those different customers is a challenge that um, we face every day on the customer team. Um, But it's really exciting to see that like aha moment um, for customers, like, you know, with every interaction that we have where they're like, oh my God, I got this to work. or I got to connect to this API. Um, so it's really like our, our strategy and it's not really much of a strategy, but what we try to do is just like meet them where the customer is. If they need a video call, we get on a video call. If it's, a if we could send them a documentation that outlines how to connect to an API and they can understand that and read that, we go ahead and do that. Um, so we don't really try to come up with like a one size fits all support, uh, you know, uh, strategy. We really just try to accommodate, like learn about the customer, learn really about the problem that they're trying to solve. Um, and just help them like unlock value out of our product. There's like, and I think in general, as a whole company, like this is really a whole company effort to make Parabola easier and easier to use for people from all different backgrounds. So that's a real like uh, huge part of our company initiative this year um, is making our product a lot easier to use. That's really awesome. Well, and I think it's already like, it's pretty easy to use. And I love, um, it does feel like there's a lot of um, checking in that happens. Like I've, I've set up some, some different stuff and I'll get like an email or a, you know, a chat thing will come up and I love being, I don't feel alone, you know, when I'm trying in there, trying to figure it out. Um, especially I can think of, you know, people who don't have any coding experience, but they're like, okay, I need, you know, I need this to do this. And I don't know how to, I don't know the terminology for it, but this is what I need. I love that. Like in y'all's, even in your documentation, all of that, it's, it's, it's not intimidating, you know? So I think it's a very, you know, job well done. Absolutely on that. And, and that goes in perfectly to my next question for, um, Ivy is, you know, I, absolutely think Parabola is one of the most gorgeous, well thought out tools. And I love that there's so much 
attention to design um, because I think you could be like, oh, it's it's just, you know, automating, it's doing this, like, you know, it doesn't need to look nice. It doesn't need, you know, all these things. It just needs to work. But y'all's not only works, it also looks really beautiful. And so I would like to know more about your approach to design and how that makes a difference in your user's experience. Yeah, that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, I wasn't, so I feel like I should say that I wasn't the like first designer um, at Parabola and that when I came in, there was a lot of design already in place. Um, but I think like my mission sort of as I've been here has been to just try and make the product like as easy for users as possible and like as sort of friendly and fun um, because I like don't come from like a coding background. And so I think in some ways that actually like is an advantage because when I'm like designing or redesigning or thinking about like creating, you know, helping spec out new components. Um, I'm trying to design them in a way that like is intuitive for me um, as someone who like, you know, doesn't know SQL, you know, necessarily, or like couldn't write, you know, a program to run this on my own. Um, and I think that's sort of always the underlying like philosophy of like, how do I make it simple enough that like I, or like someone like me could use it while at the same time making it like, a polished, you know, sort of like attractive, like intuitive product. Yeah, definitely. That completely makes sense. And I think it, you know, it's, that's very evident in the, in the product, right? Like it's, it is intuitive. It's easy to use. It looks good. And so that thought behind it is clearly there. And I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, So switching gears slightly to um, next to Jamie about, common misconceptions people have about engineers and how we can combat these misconceptions um, to communicate more effectively because it seems like, you know, everyone has this idea of what um, a tech, a person in tech looks like or someone who codes or, you know, whatever the names they, you know, that are passed around. So, so yeah, what misconceptions do people have about engineers that, that we shouldn't have? Yeah, I think, the biggest thing is just not subscribing to any idea of what an engineer should be. Um, like if you, I think it's really insidious because if you think of like an engineer and you're like, oh, engineers like to play video games. Um, that can be really intimidating for someone who is like, oh, I like coding, but I don't, I don't like to play video games. So they already like put themselves out of the pool And for a long time, I also felt like there are just ways where I was like, oh, no, I shouldn't be an engineer. I don't. I I got intimidated early on. And it was only um, finding the right educational environment where I was like, no, I can actually um, do this. So I think anytime we like the portrayals of engineers in the movies where it's like maybe someone who holes up in their room all day and then just comes out with this amazing product like in the social network. Um, I think in my experience, it's actually better to have an engineer who can communicate with people, can get product requirements, can work well in a team setting and um, communicate, hey, this is a little bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Uh, So actually, I think they're not only wrong, but if you think of engineers in that way, then you're not really thinking about the best type of engineers, which are engineers who can communicate. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, last November, I think it was, yeah, when the no code comp happened in San Francisco, um, I was renting a room, like an Airbnb host and he wasn't there until the very last day. So I walk in and I meet him and he was like, Oh, what are you here for? I'm like here for a conference. And he was like, what conference? And I explain it. And he was like, you're in tech. And I was like, yeah, he goes, you don't look like you'd be in tech. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, like, I don't, I don't know how to take that. And I was like, okay, well, thanks. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what that means. Um, and it is, it's weird. It's like, there are these preconceived notions of what, you know, people in tech look like, especially, you know, women in tech or, you know, it's like, it, it is, it's like, you're like holed up in a room and all you do is like, just cram away, you know, on the computer. And then, it's like, oh, here's a product. Okay, onto something else. And it is, uh, I work with a lot of um, developers, it's like with client work, and then they have their development team. And um, being able to communicate effectively is the number one thing that helps us move forward. And I think that a lot of the developers that I've worked with, I've been with some who um, communication is not their strong suit. And it, you know, the products have greatly suffered because of it. And then I have some like I'm working with now who are excellent communicators and they understand that I don't know what they're talking about. And so they put it in words in ways that I can understand, not, you know, like patting me on the head or something, but just a way that makes sense to me in the world that I live in. So I think that that's. And one more thing to add there is like, I think i personally get very frustrated with engineers who act like what they're doing is rocket science. I think it's, you know, we're living in a world where there's so many resources for people who want to learn how to code. And there is some difficulty and some complexity, but let's like communicate to other people in ways that they can understand what we're talking about. Let's not look down on people who maybe don't know all of the terminology, I think there's kind of a bad mentality within engineers where they can just think they're up here and that like they dictate what gets done in a company. And I think the more you can have engineers that are um, working cross-functionally, the more stuff gets done. Yeah, absolutely. I would completely agree. I think that that's really important to take note of and also realize, you know, it's, it's almost like there, there are such in the population, there's such a few amount of engineers to people that it's impossible for if engineers kind of like don't come our way a little bit in terms of communicating and helping us understand, there's always going to be this rub and this barrier that really shouldn't be there because everyone's working on a piece of the product. And it's like the team that pushes it forward. It's not just one one individual, one component. Yeah, 100%. Especially on a team this small, like at Prabla, where, you know, it's like 12, 13 people, like everyone's contributions are actually incredibly important. Um, And so I don't think it, yeah, it's not fair if any individual person says like, well, my job is the most important job at the company because at this level, it's like everyone's, like we kind of require everyone to function and we need like communication flowing in all directions to make sure things happen. And ego. Right for bad culture. Yeah. It's of, yeah. It's not in it at all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say 
Do you feel that with working with other women, it's easy to be collaborative? Do you feel like there is ever issues when males are introduced into it of an ego coming in? Or do you feel like it changes women's egos to like be on top of an ego? You know what I mean? Like you're like building a tower of egos to see, does that ever exist? Does that even make sense what I just said? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if I've seen like, egos come in and then women try and like be more ego like yeah. more ego yeah. on top of that I think I've seen more right. the opposite and this, sometimes with myself too of like me being in a room with all men I tend to be mm-hmm. higher mm-hmm. yeah sure. yeah. Like, yeah yeah or I'll feel more self-conscious about speaking out um but I yeah I find more like with women like there is maybe just like a greater level of like baseline sort of like respect and like assumption of competence like across the Mm -hmm. board Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes when you introduce men like you don't always have like I don't always feel the same like assumption of like competence or the same like baseline respect yeah yeah definitely what are some things do you think that could be done to have um more of an awareness for like men to have more of awareness and to create more space so that like kind of going into the situation, knowing that they need to be more cognizant that this exists, even if they're not personally contributing to it, they can help facilitate a better environment, um, which women feel like they don't have to, you know, like uh, be more quiet or that there is any reason to have a lack of respect just based off of someone's gender. Is there a way that you feel like they can contribute in a healthy, positive way? Yeah, I think like one part is just understanding it's not just for women, but like understanding individuals working styles and how they like to communicate and really being receptive of that, especially if you're someone who's leading a team or like even leading that meeting, understanding like, okay, so and so is a little quieter. So I want to like make sure to call them out explicitly Mm -hmm. for their opinion, or having like different ways to provide input. So sometimes like, I'm certainly not a person that's comfortable like raising my hand at an all hands at an 150 person company. Mm-hmm. But if there's like a Q&A form that I can submit beforehand, like I certainly will submit my questions. So I think it's also having like um, different options for you to provide input that works with your communication style. Yeah. And I think just generally, you know, if you're a manager or a coworker, making sure that like, regardless of gender, like your coworkers feel supported um, and like respected or the people that you're managing. Um, And I think that's something where it's like maybe especially important, like if you maybe have strong personalities and people feel, you know, trampled upon or whatever. But um, I think generally just like if there is sort of like baseline trust at the company and like people get along and like it's you know you make it clear to the people that you work with that like you do respect them and that you think that they're you know performing well um and like give them sort of like good feedback when they need it like that's kind of it and I think it's just like making I think it, leaving things unsaid can be kind of harmful so just like making sure that like you're communicating yeah because so much of I think issues of feeling you know not respected or whatever like it can, if you just make it clear that you do respect someone, yeah. then it's like that issue disappears. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. I um, was talking with a separate person on the uh, Webflow team, not Ben, and um, they were talking about how, you know, 
when like, even when you're standing in a circle with like your friends or whatever, when someone walks up, just the simple act of like shifting your weight and like to open up the circle. So another person can come in, Mm -hmm. how valuable and instrumental that is in creating space for another person, including them. And I think that that's something, you know, like even, you know, genders aside, something I forget about all the time is to intentionally create space for someone else. Like just because I'm included doesn't, and, and feel included doesn't mean that they do. And so, you know, just what you said made me think about that definitely of how important that is. And related to sort of what Sachi was saying about making sure there are different forums for people to provide feedback. I think, um, it's also, yeah, I think it's just important to um, make sure that, like, your own biases are not affecting, like, how you are soliciting feedback, you know, or if you're in a meeting and there's certain people who, like, when they speak, you find, like, you give more weight to what they're saying. Like, in some cases, it might be a meeting where it's, like, it's a technical question and one person is an engineer. And so, like, obviously their, you know, opinion is weighted more. But if there are, like, other biases that are at play, like, I think that's an important thing for people to be aware of where it's like, oh, are you, you know, giving more weight to, like, the men in the meeting, you know, or are you giving more weight to, you know, these certain people when, like, everyone actually, like, has sort of equal, um, like, insight to offer. Yeah, 100%. I absolutely agree with that. So if let's say like women that are just now starting out in tech, what's a piece of like practical advice that you could give them something that you wish maybe you would have done differently or that you look back and you're like, I'm really glad that I did that. That really helped me. Always negotiate your salary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Always. <laughs> yeah. Confidence. I think just, and like knowing that you like deserve to be there. Um, and I, that definitely relates to specific things like negotiate your salary because you like are getting this offer because like you deserve it. Yeah. And your and peers will. So you yeah. should be doing the same. Yeah. You got to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. All the guys are going to be giving themselves that. Like if asked a question, they're going to look lean towards uh, that. Like, yes, they can do that. And yeah. we, we should do that as well. Even just like applying for jobs. I know I've read that like often men, you know, who are like 60% qualified will like apply for positions and often get them, whereas women want to be, you know, 100% qualified. And so I think also for me, it was like looking at jobs where it's like, maybe I don't 100% match this description, but I do believe that like I would be good at it. And I think like often a strong candidate who doesn't 100% match like can still go far. And I, but I think like women are often like less likely to, like women and other like underrepresented groups are less likely to feel like they can sort of make that stretch. I think also yeah. once you're already in tech or like once mm-hmm. you've gotten your first job or whatever, yeah. um, not to like let a bad experience like ruin it for you. Mm-hmm. I think there's some level of perseverance needed maybe depending on what happens um, or you should push through because there are great companies, there are great teams, yeah. um, you know, not not everything has to be like a hard women's experience mm-hmm. in tech yeah. yeah and that's like finding community and mentorship I think we're like hopefully at your company there are opportunities for that but like here for example there's not a senior designer and so I have like a sort of official mentor who's at another company and then I have friends who are product designers who will check in with and having that as well I think is a really helpful thing um, like if you do have that network to tap into it and if you don't have that network like trying to find those spaces and those people. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a hundred percent. So what is unique about Parabola that empowers others to create for the web without writing code? If someone's listening to this, they don't know what Parabola is, you know, what, what is it about it that is so special? I can answer this question because I'm like becoming a real like fangirl over here of Parabola. But from, from, you know, your perspective, what is it? I mean, I think it does have to do a lot with the design and the visual interface that we've built. Like it is, you land on this like clean canvas, you have steps with nice iconography that kind of indicate what it can do. We're um, using a lot of, we're switching to more like Mad Lib style step configuration where we're using like plain English as much as possible to for you to tell Parabola what you want Parabola to do. So we're really trying to like remove all the pieces uh, that exist where you need to like write a line of code. Um, so I think like by taking all the power of Parabola, but making that really accessible to you uh, without it feeling intimidating is like the beauty of Parabola. And that's what we strive to do every day and that's like how we're trying to build our product um yeah yeah no that's that's an excellent answer that's better than what I would have said so that's yeah excellent excellent and I think a lot of like you know the interactions that you have on the builder where you drag it in and you connect an arrow and you see that the arrow connects there's a lot of like really delightful pieces of the interaction that make it fun to build on parabola yeah we really want a sense of play and a sense of like learning as you go and have the product like teach you in a fun way like what it can do for you yeah absolutely absolutely so any and this isn't on the outline but it was something that popped in my head um so in the you know tech space there's like very few women and then you drill down even lower into like if the no code space there's like five of us I mean there's like hardly (laughs) anyone um but you know, it's like one thing I think about is like, how can we get more women over here if they're interested in it? Um, and I wanted to see if you all had any thoughts of ways then which like this no code movement can include more women intentionally, because it is a whole bunch of dudes. And it's just like, it's for me, you know, it's like over, I, you know, they're all, everyone that I've met and spoken to wonderful, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know that I cannot be like one of the only women that is in this space that loves this, that we, you know, really benefit from it. So I want to see if you have any thoughts. I mean, I feel like there are a couple of things like one, I mean, once I think like you have a woman at a company, like, or, you know, like other group, like sort of underrepresented groups, like once coming in, like me coming into interview and seeing that like, oh, the engineering team is, you know, 40% female, like, that was a really exciting thing. And I think, like, that kind of builds upon itself. Yeah, I joined because I was like, okay, Michelle is here. There's (laughs) a girl. There's a woman. So, I mean, I don't want to say don't join a company if you're going to be the only woman, but it's nice because you're like, okay, I'm not going to have to be the first. And there's someone like me. There's some, you just kind of get some things just by knowing there's some um, some like 
tiny amount of diversity yeah. on the team. We have a long way to go, but um, I just think having seeing someone like yourself is so powerful. And that's why we need more women is because if you don't have a role model, it can be really hard to visualize yourself yeah. somewhere. And I think it's like hard because I think the no code space like is such a perfect space for people who like are not traditionally represented in tech because the whole point is about like, how do we make these tools more accessible yeah. to people? And so it's, you know, people who maybe didn't grow up seeing themselves as engineers or coders that can then access the same tools. Um, so I wonder also like how much of it is also just about like sort of messaging and like making it clear yeah. to people that like, this is actually a perfect place for you to be in. Like you might not feel like you're like, the tradition like traditionally what an engineer should be and like one there shouldn't be that kind of idea but also it's like if you have that it's like well no code is not like that you know <laughs> like you don't have to have any kind of like macho ideas about like what it means or feel like you have to be like hyper logical in some ways it's like a different kind of tool that like is for everyone yeah I think a lot about representation for our customers like mm -hmm. even small details like when you click on our chat widget like you see my face along with Brian's face and yeah. Alex's face like just the fact that you see like another woman like on the platform I hope helps like encourage other women to try it out and try building on it I feel like they belong and feel like they belong and like we I still have we still have a long way to go and there's a lot of content I want to put out there, but even like our user stories, like right now all of our user stories highlight like existing customers who are men on Parabola. And I would love to like explicitly reach out to some of our uh, uh, female customers and say, Hey, I'd love to write a user story about you. Um, so that again, like people feel like they belong. They see people who do the work like they do, um, who are from the same background as they are. Another, um, Another thought that I just had that I'm blanking on. <laughs> oh, um, I was going to say, like, a lot of our customers, I don't think even realize that what they're doing is no code. So many of our customers, even if they're like, oh, I use Parabola, will not self-identify as a no coder. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I think it's like there's... Um, you know, no code is kind of this like niche label. Um, and I, it could be just a general awareness thing of like, yes, what you're doing, you just built something without writing a line of code. Mm -hmm. That is no code. Um, so it might, it just general awareness around. Yeah, I bet awareness movement. Is, is like a problem. Um, I think what you were saying too about like creating content and content targeted towards women or other groups would, yeah. would help a lot. And then it doesn't, it doesn't have to be content that's like really gendered in any way beyond like, oh, a woman use this tool. Yeah. Like you could also use this tool. Um, and again, not like pandering, like not like, oh, women's use cases are going to be <laughs> different. It's like, no, they're going to be pretty much the same, but just like a reminder that like, you do belong here. Like yeah. this is useful for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So this, I wasn't going to bring this up. I kind of forgotten about it, but I, and wanted to get your thoughts. So I'm going to, this is tying back into what you just talked about, about like the content and like seeing yourself there, feeling welcome because you're, you know, you see you're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read you a snippet from a, I guess, technically a competitor's website about the mm -hmm. content that they have on there. And I'm not going to say the name, mm -hmm. but I want you to tell me how it strikes you as women. Okay. So it's let 
company X automatically notify your wife via SMS message that you're in the car headed home. She will have a much easier time calculating she will have a much easier time calculating the time necessary for you to come home. This way you can be welcome home by a warm supper. But take care. We don't advise you make any longer stops along the way if you choose to connect the services. Oh no. No, that's so rough. I mean it's like unless we're assuming that it's like actively targeting like a lesbian like user right. there's a like yeah it's like unless it's like oh wow it's very niche in that way it's like assuming like yeah you're like this heterosexual man and you work and your wife like cooks dinner for you stays home mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, it's yeah very trite no I think that's hard yes. because it's yeah it's alienating working women it's also alienating anyone who's not like a man in this like very traditional sort of yeah. relationship structure. I can't help but think like whatever happened in that brainstorm of that <laughs> company, there was not a single female like any miles away yeah. to like raise up a lot of red flags. And I think it's like like people sometimes for people who don't just believe in diversity mm-hmm. and why it's good which I think we all do yes <laughs> but like for the people who are like I need to see the research and there are men out there or like even women who are like I want to know is this better for my business study after study has come out where it's like diverse teams perform better and you can see in this case where it's like if there's a woman in the room she would have been like no, this isn't going to play well 50% of the population. (laughs) So it's, it's one of those things where it's um, like, we can talk about diversity and I think it, it has all its own merits, but there's also research that just shows that if you have a diverse team, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to make better product decisions. You're going to be able to think about a more diverse group of customers, Mm -hmm. not just people who look and act like you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, I won't take any more of your time, but thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience and perspective. And if you're listening to this, I hope that this was really, really helpful and um, gives you insight into, um, you know, women being in tech and hope that you will continue to help us push this forward and champion um, not only no code, but women being here and creating um, inclusive places for everyone. So thank you. Thanks for listening to visualdev.fm. You can find us on your favorite social media platform at visualdev.fm. 